Hi, I'm Bill Osmolsky with the McIver Institute, and this is the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. We're joined today by Judge Jim Troopas, who, for the record, is a McIver Institute board member. He was also hi- he was also hired by President Donald Trump after the election uh, to uh, take care to uh, go after some issues here in Wisconsin. So we got a lot to talk about today. So, Judge, first of all, thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So. You know, I mentioned how uh, after the election you were hired by the Trump team to uh, go after uh, election problems here in Wisconsin. So why don't you uh, kind of um, walk us through, you know, you know, all <laughs> a brief uh, summary of what happened there and, um, you know, how we got to where we're at today. Well, it's actually it, it is a good place to start because um, it sets up what has happened since. So I was not the. Uh, a lawyer for the Trump campaign. I had no relationship to the Trump campaign during the uh, campaign season um, and had not represented the Trump campaign before. Um, So when the election took place, um, within uh, 24 hours, they knew that Wisconsin uh, was going to be very, very close and had already announced that they were likely to seek a recount. Wisconsin has fairly unique laws in that regard. But let me start with sort of why would they end up with me of all people? Well, first of all, um, in Wisconsin, the recount laws are transparent. They have been used on prior occasions. Um, and in as to both of those, uh, my participation was instrumental in the past. In 2005, 2006, there was a special legislative task force founded in Wisconsin to make the recount process more understandable, more open. Remember, this happens a lot uh, in local elections uh, and regional elections uh, in Wisconsin, where you can local school board to state senator, whatever it might be. So we weren't focused on a statewide matter, but rather we felt very strongly that we should have an open process of recount. We should not discourage it uh, because by having recounts open and uh, and transparent. We felt in the 2005-2006, and this was bipartisan at that time, that people would have greater faith in the elections and in the outcomes. So we have a lot of rules in Wisconsin that were fashioned on a commission on which I sat as one of the two citizen members. So that was well known. Then the second uh, factor, and I think their call to me, was that in 2011, Uh, I was uh, asked to handle the statewide recount, the first of its type in the state of Wisconsin. Um, So we hadn't really had one before, but it was a statewide recount from the state Supreme Court. And hanging in the balance was a conservative or liberal uh, majority on the court at the time. Mr. Justice David Prosser uh, called and asked if I would uh, handle that recount. I got off an airplane. I was actually on the way to Australia with my family, and I got off, came back. And handled that statewide recount. So those are the two factors I think that had them pick up the phone uh, right after the election uh, and said, uh, "Judge, would you be willing to take this project on?" And how can you say no? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, that you know, you say that, but interestingly, I did say no. That's exactly what I said. Um, <laughs> I, I I said no on Thursday night following the election. I said no again on Saturday evening after the election. 
um, when they called me. I, I mean, I simply indicated, look, there were a lot of reasons, but there's surely you know, there's other lawyers and other law firms and they would be willing to take this on. And um, then I woke up on Monday morning and this is part of testimony I gave at the United States <laughs> Senate in December. I woke up on Monday morning and I, I opened up my internet browser and the lead article was about the fact that law firms all over the country were declining to represent the president and vice president of the United States because they were being intimidated by the left. They were being told they would lose clients. They were being told they would be fired from their law firms. Uh, they were told point blank that assuming Biden wins, you will never get any more work at your giant law firm. So literally all the lawyers these are some of the highest paid people in America, some of the best known names that you see every night, were literally turning their back on their client because many times they were already Trump's lawyers. And they were saying, I'm sorry, but we can't represent you. This is too controversial. And oh, by the way, you know, if I do this, they're going to come after my family. They're going to come after my business. They're going to come after everything associated with me. Hmm. And. The intimidation of, of some of the uh, – again, some of the richest people in America, some of the richest law firms in America, and they were all cowards. And I use that term openly. These lawyers were cowards, and in my view, they were not acting consistent with the oath they took to be lawyers in representing their clients' interests. Uh, five minutes after I opened that story, I called the White House back, and I said, I will represent you. Um, because I, I would, after 40 plus years of practicing law, I certainly was not going to be intimidated. And I certainly felt that the rule of law in America required that lawyers of some standing step up to the plate. And with me, uh, a call was made to, uh, a, a, the former president of the state bar association, uh, and, and he joined me as well as co-counsel. So a judge and the former president of the state bar uh, would be lead counsel for Donald Trump in Wisconsin. So there could be no doubt that meritorious claims, if they were available, would be brought. So a pretty solid team. Um, <laughs> yes. And I mean, so you had a couple different approaches to this. Could you just kind of tell us, you know, just to, to recap, you know, what, what were the, the lawsuits that were brought up? Well, you you face a couple of things in Wisconsin. Um, it's pretty, again, straightforward uh, to those of us who practice in this area. First, you have to have a preliminary count that is done um, night of election. Then there is a certified count, which occurs within, I believe it's 10 days of the conclusion of the election. Once that certified count is in, you have a fixed number of days to seek a recount. You may not seek a recount unless the difference is less than 1%. So, uh, and in the past, the, that the, the threshold has actually gone down for paid recounts. So we were between a, we were about a half a percent or less. And ironically, Six years ago, there wouldn't have been any cost. It would have been automatic. We simply asked for it. It would have happened, which is how dedicated we are in Wisconsin to making sure elections are open and fair. Uh, now, once 
at the rate we were, we would have to pay for it. So we would have to actually put money up in advance to pay for the maximum amount the counties requested in order to conduct the recount. So we had a certain fixed number of days. We could not file until a certain day had passed. And then we had an X number of days after that. Uh, and in the meantime, of course, um, we had to determine if there was a reasonable basis, not confirmation, but a reasonable basis to believe that the vote totals were inaccurate um, and that ultimately they could be sufficient based upon the legal and factual arguments to overturn the election. So the first approach was challenge the count itself. Correct. And that is exactly what we did with, the, uh, you know, I, I, speaking to the president and the vice president um, at, at some length. Uh, and going through each and every possible argument. By now, of course, we had investigations. We'd, we'd understood what had happened. We understood what were the legal arguments that were uh, relative to the count, to the way in which the vote totals had been calculated. And so when I advised the president at that point, um, he and his senior lawyers and everybody agreed that every claim we would write down would be claims for which there was substantial evidence available at that time he then signed the petition but that's not the end of the process that's not the end of the process we're so careful here in wisconsin mm -hmm. we then had to take that petition to the wisconsin election commission who independently reviews the petition and it's a and determines it's it's a that there is sufficient the allegations are sufficient to meet the statutory obligations of the candidate so that a recount could be ordered. They reviewed it, they agreed, and they then ordered the recount. And so the recount then was in Dane and Milwaukee counties because the Trump campaign had to pay for it. Well, there was a couple of reasons for that. That's a really good question, Bill. A lot of people don't remember this, but in Wisconsin, like I said, we had to pay for it. So it wasn't a small matter. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, we're not raising money. There's not a bunch of money left over from the campaign. I mean, it's it, and the in the past, a statewide recount, the highest total ever for a statewide recount was less than $3 million. We anticipated that would be what it would be, a little bit more, you know, given yeah. COVID, et cetera. We didn't anticipate is that the number would be between seven and eight million. And and so when we saw that number, and remember, in addition to that cost, you have the cost of manning 72 counties. So you have to have a legal team. You have to have people there watching the count in 72 separate counties. Think about the meals, the hotels, the hours. You know, you are talking about a massive undertaking um, to do statewide recon. So it's the cost of the seven to eight million. It's the cost of the additional people. And by the way, it's also the enormous sort of non-monetary cost of, of people all over the state having to participate in a recount through Thanksgiving um, and through our deer season, which as you know, is sacrosanct <laughs> here in Wisconsin. Uh, and, and so with those facts, some of those factors and a few others, we, we elected because it would not change the outcome it would of our recount we, we elected to take the two largest counties um and you can tell we were actually considering other things that's not giving anything away here because we actually posted about three million dollars so we could have added counties um but we didn't we wanted to post enough so that if we 
decided to add a county, we could still do that at the last minute. So we posted the money that made the decision that there were sufficient votes in Dane and Milwaukee County based on the legal and factual arguments that if we were correct, it would overturn the outcome of the election and adding more counties would not change that outcome. So, um, so we ultimately you know, chose uh, just those two counties to do. So at the end of the, so to, to skip ahead a little bit, at the end of the recount, we found out that pretty much every vote had a paper, uh, had a paper ballot to go along with it, whether or not it was on the level or not. Again, you know, that's an interesting thing, Bill, about a bill about Wisconsin that I think your audience around the country should recognize. We are the example of best practices in the country when it comes to how we vote up until this election. Yeah, we, um, we don't have we don't have these electric machines just, you know, tabulating ballots like other states do. Right. Exactly. We do not. We, every single vote in this state is cast on a paper ballot and that paper ballot is preserved uh, in order that a recount could be conducted. Any place that doesn't do that simply isn't following best practices. It's simple. They're optically scanned. That is, you fill in a little dot, you know, and they're mm-hmm. optically scanned. And there are there are some exceptions to this because there are some handicap rules and the like. So when I say every vote, I, I mean everyone. But in fact, there are some small exceptions that are required under under various disability laws. But the the, the reality is we have a trail for every single vote. You know, all 3.6 million of them, there are paper ballots uh, behind them. Even more than that, again, unlike other parts of the country, um, we have an additional set of paper trails uh, that were put in place to prevent fraud, abuse, intimidation, the, the terrible things that did in fact happen in this election. Um, so, so, for example... You must register in Wisconsin. So you have to put your signature down somewhere, certify that you live here, that you meet the requirements, that you're a U.S. citizen, and then you sign. And that application or registration, most of it called registration, is, is, is kept for every voter in the state. Now, that's not a problem because we have the highest vote totals among minorities in the whole country and have had I am so proud to say for many, for decades. And the reason is because we we have such an open process that people can register and vote even on the day of election. There's no, like, register a month in advance or register for a party. No, anybody can register anytime, even on election day. So it's not, a, it's not prohibitive. It is, in fact, protective of the right to vote because it protects the sanctity of the process. Now we have a trail uh, of how you did it. If you come in on election day, which is the way it's supposed to be, and our statutes explicitly only provide protection of uh, maximum protection for the vote that is cast in a polling place on election day, because there you have to sign a poll book. Two separate people have to watch you do that. Each one has to check a separate poll book and put their initials there have to be initials on the ballot and and these are incredible protections against fraud and abuse yeah so to stop there because this is you know there's a there's a couple different angles you could take this one of them is you know 
did did everybody did every paper ballot did, did that vote did did every voter actually vote on that paper ballot? You know, was somebody else voting for some of these people? And, you know, that protection that you mentioned where, yeah, you need two poll workers, you need two signatures, somebody needs to, you know, for every ballot, there needs to be a signature in a poll book, right? Right. Um, so, but unless you, uh, I mean. Just, and a picture ID, and a picture ID. Yeah, but and then the, the question then comes, well, a recount isn't going to tell you if that's the right signature. You know, you if you know, the, the nobody in the recount is going to go to the poll book and say, hey, the same person signed for, you know, 100 people in this book. It's, it's plain as day. So, so That's how, correct. How, yeah, so how do correct. you get to the bottom of that that question? Well, you have two different things going on here. And, again, it's extraordinarily important to remember how how good our election laws are if they were enforced. Mm-hmm. The What I just described is the process that occurs in Wisconsin on election day. I'm not concerned about what happens on election day as much because there's so many protections in place, right? People have to take the time. They have to come in. It's a a celebration of our right to vote. It's a celebration of those things. And and we're so protective of it. You can see it's the likelihood that the wrong person voted and have is very slim. But, and our statutes acknowledge this explicitly, any time a vote is not cast in the sanctity of a polling place, it is subject to fraud and abuse, intimidation, bribery, you name it. All of those things can occur if it's not on election day because we don't have a secret ballot prior to election day. Think about that yeah. for a second. There's no such thing as a secret ballot prior to election day. Why? Because we have no one to enforce it. I mean, you may choose to have somebody else fill out your ballot, and we'll never know. You may choose to tell your spouse. You may choose to tell the newspaper who you voted for. That's your choice. Mm -hmm. Those things don't happen inside the polling place where you pull the curtain and you vote, and no one has a clue how you voted one way or the other. So this is extraordinarily important to understand the intimidation. The duress that occurs prior to election day. Now, I'm not just making that up. We have it in our statutes. Our statutes in Wisconsin explicitly provide that while the right to vote is sacrosanct, on election day, we'll do everything we can to discern the will of the voter. Any vote not cast on election day is presumed to be subject to abuse and that a failure to comply with any of the rules relative to that casting of that ballot will invalidate that vote because there is a presumption of in, of fraud and abuse on any vote cast before election day unless every procedure is followed and when we wrote that into the law in 2005 we were following the bipartisan carter commission carter baker commission that was the absolute belief nationally and internationally and it is a true statement because there is no such thing as a secret ballot before election day so how did that uh you know invalidating ballots work out this time (laughs) (laughs) well you know um 
an interesting thing is let's 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 step forward in time and say what is not in question. By the time we complete the recon with more than 4,000 volunteers on both sides, more than 2,500 Trump volunteers, more than 2,500 people, amazing, you know, in these two locations, and it lasted for over 10 days. Um, by the time the case was brought, so now after the petition, you can you can appeal the conclusions of the recount, which is what we did, the appeal, because the recount did not overturn it on its face, and we made the challenges appropriately. At that point in time, no one was disputing, nor has anyone disputed to date the following facts. Number one, official documents, the envelope in which the ballot is placed that by statute must be done accurately, were physically changed after their submission without input from the voter by clerks in Dane and Milwaukee County and more than 6,000 votes, more than 6,000 ballot envelopes were corrected or incorrectly submitted. More than 6,000. And that, and that and, is and not that, disputed. Yeah, that's not conspiracy theory. That's uh, open violation of the law. We have a picture of every one of them if people want to <laughs> see them. I mean, again, no one disputed that. Biden didn't dispute that. They said we can do it. They didn't dispute it. Mm-hmm. Second, that's that's a that that's a pretty straightforward. Second, undisputed, undisputed is that many ballots, approximately seventeen thousand, were cast in a park parks in Madison, Wisconsin, actually provided to clerks. Contrary to the law and the dates set for those submissions, in and just and the and the courts ultimately said you're right; those ballots were submitted not in person. There's no proof they were submitted in person uh, to a clerk, and they were not submitted through the mail. And yet the statute says there are only two ways to submit those: put it in the mail, or provided in person at a clerk's office. Neither one of those obviously occurred because they were just simply delivered in a park, 200 different park settings in Madison. And so what does the law say about ballots that aren't correctly submitted? They cannot be counted. So then why weren't they thrown out? Well, ultimately, the state Supreme Court ruled in a four, it ruled that we brought the claim too late. No one, dis- no one disputed the fact. No one to this day has disputed the facts I've just provided. And there are other, other items that were also factually not disputed. So there's a statute of uh, limitations in the law on that. There is no statute of limitations. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it's none at all. This was, this was simply uh, a fiction that the court applied so that it would not have to reach the issue. And that's that's how it happened. And it happened around the country. Many people are aware of this. But in Wisconsin, it's particularly gross because the, there 
is no dispute about the facts, and there is no dispute that had the legal arguments been accepted by the court on these issues and several others, the result would have been overturned in this case. There's, there's no dispute at all that we had more than sufficient ballots that did not comply with the law as we interpreted the law to overturn the outcome of the election. And the only way the court could avoid that, and it did avoid it, is by saying we're not going to get to the facts. You brought it too late. So was that the last um, was that the last stand here in Wisconsin, or was there another lawsuit after that one? Well, the there there were other there other was other litigation. There was a yeah. companion federal case which we did not have anything to do with that raised some additional issues. Yeah, our case ultimately went to the um, United States Supreme Court. Well, first of all, our state Supreme Court ruled four to three. So three justices com- agreed with what I just told you. I'm not sure they agreed that the outcome would have changed, but they certainly agreed with our legal positions and the facts we're talking about. And they did agree on the premise that many of these folks should not have been counted. Um, so we appealed to the United States Supreme Court, and we were the only case in the country where you know, there was a state Supreme Court, a court of last resort in our state system, where three of the justices agreed with us and agreed with the Trump campaign. Um, So it was a major case. It went to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court last several weeks using the Pennsylvania case as the template. Uh, They could have used the Wisconsin case. They actually mentioned the Wisconsin case in it. Um, But the dissents, again, it was a um, split decision from our U.S. Supreme Court where the justices would have, three of the justices would have taken the case and heard the case. But they did not, um, and again, they filed dissents uh, with regard to why the other the justices that refused to take the case did not have to justify why they did not. The, those that the other justices, um, three of the justices, would have taken the case, and we'd actually have gotten some decisions on some of these issues. But that's the nature of the law. So then it was finally with that that ended the cap matter, and it was remanded and. Um, the case was effectively uh, dismissed as a return when it was terminated. Yeah, so then with, with that said and done, then Wisconsin kind of shifted to this idea of reviewing our election processes. And, you know, why, I mean, we know the system's broken. I mean, right. I mean, it, it, there's, there's no question about it. The law was broken, and there were no consequences of that. And, you know, the people that broke the law got away with it. They got what they wanted, and nothing even happened to them. So we're reviewing this in Wisconsin, and, um, you know, that's been really interesting. Like, the latest development has been over the past couple of weeks with what happened in Green Bay with outside groups running their election, and not just them, but we find out that there were four other Wisconsin cities, Madison, Milwaukee, Racine, and Kenosha, who also uh, had this group there kind of calling the shots. And um, not only that, but I, I would say, like, the most – uh, insane thing that we heard last week was the former Brown County clerk saying how all these election workers at the um, at, at the Central County Green Bay, they had black pens, which you aren't supposed to have. They were remaking ballots. They were examining ballots. And none of the election observers were allowed anywhere near them to see what they were doing. So let's take I want to take one of those things that you just mentioned. I have not sure. not occurred to me until you're just talking now. Sure. So people think. These rules are technical, oh, because they're technical. No, 
They're technical precisely because we understand that if there is even the slightest gap, people of less concern about election integrity will run through those gaps. Take the question of pens. By statute and rule, during a recount, no one is allowed to have a black or blue pen in the recount room literally you can't even have that color (laughs) on your body when you walk in that recount room so that no ballot can be changed because you only got blue and purple and green you know you got weird colored pens but by gosh we're not going to let people steal it during the recount and here you had clerks who are responsible for this not even following I mean, of course there was fraud and abuse. Of course there was because the statute presumes there was. And it presumes it because afterwards it's almost impossible to prove ballot by ballot. Exactly. And I mean, as they're remaking ballots, I mean, mean, this whole thing was being run by a Democrat operative in Green Bay. And I mean, we aren't exactly getting very far into the conspiracy theory territory where – with all those workers remaking these ballots, if anybody left President Blank. Exactly. Or or the ballot that it didn't, we weren't sure who this person was. Here's a good one for you. Almost unbelievable. If you happen to know the clerk in your town, they happen to know that you're Joe Smith, who lives on Penny Place. But you didn't fill in your address. You didn't fill it in at all. But the clerk knows you. (laughs) Well, I'll write it in for you. But what about Joe Smith, who lives over on Chamberlain Street? Well, I don't know that, Joe Smith. So I won't write it in. So your vote got counted. That guy's vote didn't get counted by the happenstance of whether a clerk happened to know you. And that is why the law says if it's not filled in, it don't count. Because we can't have two entirely different ways of counting ballots. You also exposed, Bill, this last week through MacGyver, that when cities are allowed to accept funds of any type to conduct a public election, you it doesn't get more gross under due process and equal protection. You're saying that in Milwaukee County, They get to vote a certain way. They get to have clerks doing X. They get to have blue boxes on corners. They get to have people going out and picking up ballots. But if you happen to be in lacrosse, well, they didn't get the money. Yeah. So you don't get the blue boxes. You don't get the guy who comes and picks up your ballot. You get an entirely different system of voting in lacrosse than in Milwaukee. How is that not? wrong wrong on moral levels much less a legal level well yeah and i mean like you keep on explaining too how you know the law is cut and dry and there's a good re you know it's it's good reason for that it's that you know there's no there's no question you know we've got you know the situation in green bay where you know the mayor pretty much told the city clerk to take a hike this democrat operative who got funded by facebook he's running the election so you know what i'm talking about hey you know these people are remaking ballots you know, and we pretty much, 
without the law, we pretty much just have to kind of trust that their principles will prevent them from doing anything <laughs> wrong. And they've already right. demonstrated they have no principles because they have a Democrat operative running the election center. Well, the, the gross part here is the national media keeps repeating the lie that there wasn't fraud, abuse, and that the election wasn't rigged in certain ways. Yeah. Now, you could say whatever you want about whether that would overturn the outcome, but you cannot say no honest person, no member of our courts can honestly say, looking at Wisconsin, that the rules were not rigged and abused. They were. They were. Now, again, you may disagree on the outcome, but every time I hear a national commentator say there's no proof or you're cut from Twitter or whatever, the answer is that's just not true. I mean, if you, I guess if you repeat that lie over and over People will accept it, but it's just a it's it's a lie. There's plenty of proof in Wisconsin of what happened, and there's plenty of proof elsewhere. Well, yeah, and I mean, I'm getting a little bit into the speculation because you know they're remaking ballots or do you know so you, you know that is so that is just so fishy. You just can't just let that stand. But on the face of it, we've talked about it. Laws were broken. Tens of thousands of ballots should have been invalidated right out of the gates because the law is the law. I believe that to be correct. I believe that to be correct. I mean, I think um, and again, in Wisconsin, we'll we'll never know because the court avoided the question. They simply punted. And, And that's sad. That's if you wonder why. And I've spoken widely on this. I spoke at the United States Senate on it. If you wonder why people don't believe the results of this election it's no different it's no more complex than because you won't talk about it i mean the parent that tells a child you're doing this because i'm telling you well someday the child's going to question and if the government says we're you we're doing this for your own good we're not going to look into the election tough the results the result get over it what do you you can't you can't order people not to think about what happened. That doesn't it doesn't world doesn't work that way, nor does America. Yeah. And I mean they're you know, they're in a tough spot right now. I mean when they are so committed to this, you know, that let's say, you know, finally they gave in and they said, Okay, we'll audit everything and it's like, Oh yeah, Trump won. Oh my gosh. <laughs> End of the week. I mean, what a disaster that would be. So they, they've completely are committed to this now. Well, but you think about how the world's changed because after uh, 2000, and I was in Florida, we were going to recount Wisconsin that year. I was lead counsel then for Bush Cheney, and um, we didn't recount Wisconsin. But I did go to Florida and was participated in the recount there then. Is that um, after that election, there was a serious, comprehensive examination of not just the result in Florida, but nationally. And there was a bipartisan commission, Carter-Baker Commission, to examine best practices for voting. If there was any leadership at all in Washington, any on the left, any, they would be simply saying, let's do the same thing. Let's examine this. It's going to take a couple of years. We're going to spend some money. But we're going to come out of this so that the public can trust future elections. There's none of that, is there? None to talk about. Not a. They, they're so afraid of the consequence. I'm not afraid of it. 
and, and good meaning people on the left ought not be afraid of it. it. It'll be what it'll be. We're not overturning the election at this point. Well, yeah, but, the um, it, it, right. It, their position right now is it's win win for them because they got their guy in, whether it was honest or not. And if they don't look into it, well, then whose who's faith in the voting system shattered? Well, people that voted against them anyway. So it's a sad state of affairs, sad state of affairs, sad state of affairs. So moving forward here in Wisconsin, you know, I mentioned we've got, you know, the legislature's looking into this and, you know, a lot of, you know, just bombshell stuff keeps coming out. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the question I got is, so what? I mean, we've got a Republican legislature. And we have a Democrat governor who's going to veto anything they do. We've got a Democrat attorney general who will never bring anyone up on charges for breaking the law, this law. We've got Democrat DAs who will never bring people up for breaking this law. Eric Genrich is not going to resign. He is not going to be arrested. He is not going to be charged. Nobody is going to stop him from doing whatever he wants to do next time, whether it's, there's a law against it or not. So setting the table like that... <laughs> You know, what is the way forward? Well, live not by lies. That's live because, not by lies. I, I, yeah, that's a great, uh, great motto these days. I mean, the answer is, this is the most important issue of our times. Because if we do not have free and open election in which people believe in the outcome, this republic will end. That's just a fact. It's not... Yep. It's not a it's not a threat. It's nothing. It's just a fact. We simply have to have faith in our elections, or the public comes to an end. So, so members of the legislature and others ought not be the least concerned about whether or not the legislature actually will be signed into law in Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania, or anywhere else. But they must stand and witness what happened and take whatever actions they can in hopes that in the future people will look back and use those findings to establish the kind of faith we need in our system. And that's the reason you do it. That's the reason there are dissenting opinions in the state Supreme Court here and in the U.S. Supreme Court. Because if you don't stand up and witness to the truth, then we, this experiment will come to an end. So what's the way forward for uh, the average Wisconsin resident? <laughs> be very supportive of the process. Let the process play out. Demand that it be bipartisan. Demand that everyone participate in it. Demand that a record be made, as Janelle and others are doing now, and that it be put in writing, and that in the next election cycle, it be on the ballot, so to speak. That the candidates are forced, forced to take a position. What do you think about these reforms or about what happened? What will you do in the future to make sure this doesn't happen again? Uh, everybody needs to be put on the record and, and so that people can make a reasonable choice. That's what we have to do. So don't give up. <laughs> Absolutely do not. I mean, we're at the beginning of this battle, or at least in the, maybe in the middle of it. But I mean, again, you, if you do not stand as witness against it, you're living a lie. And you, if you do not do anything, the other side wins. Democracy dies in the silence. It doesn't. It doesn't deny on the, on the street corner when you're speaking out. It, it dies when people are silent about what 
happened and what we ought to be doing about it. You know, maybe MacIver should grab that that slogan, uh, democracy dies in silence. <laughs> that's a good one. I appreciate it. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. But, you know, but MacIver has stood for, without regard to partisanship, transparency. I mean, Lord, we have been gotten into trouble with, you know, some of the people who considered us their best friends because we were just as demanding of transparency with the left and the right. And I think this is a great example of it. Transparency in an election process, there's nothing more important than that in preserving our democracy. That's a great advantage of not only living not by lies, but living by principles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyway, Judge, thank you so much for your time today. This has been so this has been so uh, uh, entertaining and educational. Um, You know, this is a a lot's happened over the past few months. It feels like a few lifetimes. So it's been great. If it feels like that to you, think what it feels like to me. Um, <laughs> so it was. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate what you're doing, what MacGyver, the MacGyver Institute is doing. This is standing up for their principles in a you know at a time when nothing is much more essential than that. And thank you to everyone for listening to the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. We are joined today by Judge Jim Trupas and talking about all the election issues that came out from uh, last November's election. So be sure to tune in next time to the McIver Newsmakers podcast. Thank you very much and have a great day.